John chapter 3, John chapter 3, and while you're getting there, I'm going to invite my daughter to come up. She is going to share with you a testimony about Hot Hearts this weekend, and uh, thankful for a couple of our youth being here tonight. I don't really make them to come to church. They just know it's expected, but I'm sure I'm thankful for my kids. I love them very much. Uh, and they remember my sermon. Josiah was telling me all about it this afternoon, what he got out of my message. And I was like, okay, I didn't make him do that. So I'm just constantly encouraged by, by the five of you. I really appreciate you. All right, I'll stop getting sappy. Go ahead. So, okay, I don't know how this works. But okay. Um, first, I kind of want to share a lyric uh, that's kind of just been stuck in my head and it's kind of stuck with me. Um, for the past two days, uh, Micah Tyler sang it. It's not his song, but he sang it, and it goes, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I don't, des I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. So that just, that's just really stuck with me. Um, but one thing that I wanted to share with y'all was, I took notes, so hold on. Um, the speaker, his name was Tony Tony Nolan, I think it was his name, or Nolan Tony, something like that. I get, because if you have two first names, I get them kind of mixed up sometimes. But um, he talked a lot about his testimony, and um, his testimony was extremely deep and uh, very real, almost. Um, he had been through a lot. His mom was a homeless prostitute, and that's how he was born, and um, then he was given over to a very corrupt foster home where he was molested for most of his life, and then um, he was adopted for $200. <laughs> he was bought for $200, and his adopted dad was kind of like, that's the worst $200 I've ever spent, you know, and just, he, he dealed with a lot of things, but ended up being in a mental hospital, mental hospital, because he was just so deep and dark, in a deep, dark pit, and um, then John 3.16, you know, that was the verse, first verse he shared with us, and that was his first message, you know, that really showed the light in his life, and then um, the second time, he gave us this acronym um, for bringing out the best in others instead of the beast in others, um, talking about how our relationships with other Christians and with other people in our lives are our biggest weapon, one of our biggest weapons against the devil and sin and temptation. And the B is be the first to forgive. Um, and the first verse he gave with that was bear with one another and forgive one another. If anyone has a quarrel against you, if anyone has a quarrel against anyone, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. So be the first to forgive. Um, that will help you in a lot of your friendships, relationships, even people in the church. Be the first to forgive. The E was encourage one another. Um, the verse for that was Ephesians 4.29. The last one was Colossians 3.13. But th this one is, um, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up, that I may give you grace to, lis to the listeners. Um, another thing for me is I like to complain a lot, especially um, it really kind of convicted me because we've had a lot of stuff go on in my band this year, and I just it really convicted me because I complain a lot about it. And so it just um, encouraged one another, bring each other up, especially in the church, because, you know, like my dad was saying this morning, that's a big thing with the church's reputation, you know, is we complain a lot, oh, the singing wasn't that great, or the pa pe preaching wasn't that great today, or whatever, but just be, be an encourager. Um, the S was share with them. 
And Tony, uh, Mr. Tony was like, don't share with him your chicken nuggets. You know, not, not that kind of sharing, but share your ears with others. Listen to them. Slow down long enough to listen to the cries around you. There's so much going on around the other people and with other people's lives, but we just don't, we don't notice it because we're so consumed with our own selves. So just share your ears with them. And the verse was that was, then you shall call upon me and you shall come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And that's just kind of like a, hey, we need to be like God. And when someone calls upon us, it really just needs someone to listen to, you know, maybe don't give advice, just listen, you know. Um, that's Jeremiah twenty nine twelve. Uh, the One of the questions that you asked was that really kind of stuck with me and it kind of goes with being an encourager was, what would happen if we were as quick to lend our ears as we were our opinions? And just that really stuck with me because we're going with the complaining and stuff like that. We're so quick to give all our complaints and all of this, but what would happen if we just stopped and just listened and gave our ears up? Um, the last thing was the T, and that was trade up. And it kind of didn't make sense at first to me until he kind of went back to his testimony, and he was given the opportunity to go meet his biological mom. And um, to do this, he had to go and get directions from someone, and that someone was the person who had molested him when he was a child. And when he went, you know, he was telling us, he was like, some of you might be asking, does all of this really work? You know, does this be an encourager, you know, being the first to forgive all of this, you know, does that really work? And he's like, I'm here to tell you that it does, because I forgave that man, and he didn't do, he told a story about it, and I'm not going to you know, share it because it's kind of long, but he told us a story about it, and the man didn't do what he thought he was going to do, you know. He thought, oh, the man was going to be like, oh, you know, thank you, I'm so wrong for doing all that. That's not what happened, and he just had to forgive him and walk away. And he said that, you know, he was trading up to something bigger because God was like, you forgave him. You know, just kind of like this morning in our Sunday school lesson when Paul was trying to teach to the Jews and they just kind of rejected him. And a verse in the Bible is like, you know, get up, dust the dust, the dust from your feet and, you know, just leave the town. That's kind of what we have to do. Even though we forgive people, we kind of just need to, okay, if you're not, that's fine. You know, I've forgiven you. Just keep walking, you know, and that's what he had to do. And he said, just trade up because each side gives what each side has to give. So don't retaliate. And the verse with that was Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we were talking today after church about how, like, two wrongs don't make a right and stuff like that. And that just kind of really reiterates that is, you know, don't retaliate when someone does something against you, but be the first to forgive. So just remember, bring out the best of people, not the beast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put no, I'm Thank you so much. Appreciate that, sweetheart. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And uh, this was actually a message I prepared several weeks ago. And um, we just had so many th other things going on. Um, so I was looking, for, uh, looking forward to the opportunity of sharing this with you. I told you when we hit John 13, we would start going a little bit faster through the book of John. Uh, we have about uh, eight more chapters to go through. We're probably going to cover all of this tonight. Uh, I want to read through the chapter and just share, share a couple thoughts with you because these are, really, these are really familiar scriptures to most of you, I would assume. Let's start in John chapter 13, verse 1. I'm going to read all the, way through, all, all the way through the chapter. Now, before the feast of the Passover, 
When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said, What I am doing to you, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taking his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, if I then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his hill against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore mentioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. Uh, having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and then it was night. Verse 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all, you know, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? 
Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. In verse 38, Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us tonight through chapter 13. Lord, so many important points to make through this chapter. Lord, I pray that you would um, just help us. I know I'll miss some stuff, uh, but you are such a good and gracious God and your Holy Spirit will point out to us those things that we need to apply. So often, Lord, I find that certain some people apply things that I never even pointed out, and they attribute it to my sermon. It's not me, Lord, it's you. It's you pointing out to us what you want us to work on. And I'm so thankful that you are the one doing the work, and it is not dependent on me. Lord, we call upon you at this time. Please change us and, and, and just work on our insides. It's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, so like I said, a very familiar scripture to you. It contains the Last Supper, contains the washing of the feet. I don't know how many times I've heard uh, that story preached, and, and I'm not saying we should be tired of it. I still really appreciate that story and love uh, the story of Jesus washing the, washing the disciples' feet and the example that he said in that. We also have the uh, the re revelation of who would betray Jesus, of course, we know all along. Uh, we have this very interesting moment where Jesus said, I'm going to hand my morsel of food to the one who's going to betray me, and he hands it to Judas, and nobody says anything. I've always found that to be a very interesting scripture. We have, uh, um, don't get on me, but my, one of my favorite scriptures, uh, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you to love one another. Uh, I've preached that in this church, I know at least once. Um, I, uh, I think I preached it for your search committee out at Dogwood Hills as well. And uh, y'all asked me to preach it again here. Uh, and then, uh, of course, Simon Peter saying, I'll die with you. And Jesus saying, no, <laughs> you're not going to die. Not yet. Uh, you're going to deny me instead three times. But what I want to look at tonight specifically is verse 1. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon preached on verse 1. I find it to be such a sweet sentimental, sensational verse, mainly because we live on this side of it. We live on this side of what Jesus did and what His love um, motivated Him to do for us, uh, that He loved us to the end. We can perhaps see in full what this means on this side of the cross. Uh, you know, in, in, in verse 1, when, uh, you know, if, if John had said this, before Jesus died, they perhaps wouldn't have, they wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been as meaningful. Just look at verse 1 again. He says, uh, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Hmm. Such a sweet, sweet verse. We understand that his cross and his death and his plan that God ordained for Christ Himself, it was for us. It was what we needed. It was what was mandated. We also must remember that all of this was born out of God's great love. And if God and Jesus are one, like we discussed this morning, like Scripture talks about, like Jesus talks about all throughout the Gospel of John, then God's love is, is synonymous with Jesus' love for us. 
God's great love is the same as Jesus' great love for us. Verse 1, again, it states, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved him to the end. And there's all kinds of things we could say about that phrase, having loved his own. I want to just pause a moment and, and, and sit on that for a second, having loved his own. Who were his own? Who were his, his own? Were they the Jews? Well, if that's the case, then we could say that, uh, that Jesus was kind of a racist, right? He only loved those that were the same race, the same ethnicity uh, as himself. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. What, what, that's it? What about his disciples? Maybe it was saying he loved his disciples, having loved his own. Well, that would mean that his love stopped when his disciples died. So that can't be what he's talking about, right? It, that would limit his love to a certain time and to a certain race. I don't see this as the case. And given what we understand about the knowledge of God, or more specifically, about the foreknowledge of God, and our lack of understanding of the foreknowledge of God, I started thinking, perhaps what Jesus was speaking about is all those who would receive the gift of salvation, both in that time frame and in future times. Now, John 3.16 so adequately and, and, and perfectly states, God loved the world. God does. He loved the world. God loved the world that He sent His Son to die for the sins of the world. Other places like this one, though, seem to teach that God loves differently, uniquely, those who respond to His call of salvation in faith. Not that He doesn't love the lost. He does. But differently. How do I mean differently? Well, in, in certain scriptures, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stick with, with the Gospel of John, there is alluded to this different kind of relationship that Jesus has with those who respond to Him in faith. For instance, in John chapter 10, what's he, what, does he tell, what does He call those that respond to Him in His faith? He's their shepherd and they are His sheep, right? He says in verse 14, John chapter 10 verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. And we established when we went through John chapter 10, when he's talking there about his sheep that know his voice, that follow him, that respond to him in faith, he is talking about those that God has called and that those, that, those that will respond in faith to him. When the Jews surrounded him and pressed him to reveal if he was the Christ, Jesus told them, I told you and you do not believe. They didn't believe. They didn't have faith. They were not his own. Verse 26, he says again, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. In uh, John chapter 15, we're going to get there later. Verse 13, Jesus told his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends or his own. The idea there is that Jesus lays down his life specifically for those who respond to Him in faith, indicating a love and fellowship with those who believe in His death for their salvation and not for those who will reject it. In John chapter 17, what is known as the high priestly prayer, Jesus prays along these same lines. And I know I'm talking about scriptures we haven't gotten to yet. Don't worry, I want to be redundant when we get there. But in John chapter 17, verse 9, Here's what Jesus says, I pray for them, who's them? His disciples, 
those that are the true followers of Christ. At this point, Judas has betrayed. He has gone, and, and, and Jesus is talking about his disciples. He goes on and says, I do not pray for the world. That's a special kind of relationship. I'm not saying Jesus hasn't prayed for the world. I believe he has. But in this particular reference, what I'm talking about is a special kind of relationship that Jesus has with the redeemed. Verse 20, chapter 17, verse 20, he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their, the word of the disciples, through their word. Verse 28, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. And so his prayers are for the disciples. His prayers are for those who will respond in faith to the message of the disciples. And his prayer is that his love that God and that God the Father and, and He have will be in all of us. Special kind of prayer. I'm not saying, again, hear me loud and clear. I'm not saying, Jesus, that God does not love the world. The compassion, the love that fed the 5,000 hungry people, that took bread and fish. You know, by the way, think, thinking about this morning, how insignificant was a little, little bit of bread and fish? Wasn't that insignificant? And yet God did something magnificent with it, didn't he? He did, absolutely. But I'm getting off the point. What an act of mercy and compassion and love for Jesus to say, to look out on this hungry crowd. He could have said, go get something to eat. It's not my job. But instead he looked out on the crowd, many of whom will, would later be calling out for his crucifixion. And he fed them. What about the mercy to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead? You know, we're not really given any kind of history. What happened with Jairus and his daughter? He just raised her from the dead. How about the patience to not strike down the Pharisees as we've gone through the Gospel of John and seen their uh, uh, belligerent disbelief and slandering of him. And yet his very patience to not strike them down dead right there. Is that not love? Absolutely. The thieves who were robbing the people in the temple and he drove them out with a whip. We might look at that and say, well, that was the anger of Jesus. Yes, it was, but he could have just struck them down dead. Instead, he was loving enough to chastise them, to dis discipline them, and drive them out of that place. These are all manifestations of God's love held out to a lost world, much of, much of which was already denying him, already rejecting him, and would soon be ones crying out for his very crucifixion. As Jesus being sent into the world in the first place is a manifestation of God's love for the world. But we need to understand that the love with which we are loved with by God because we have responded to Him in faith is different. And right now, right here in John chapter 13, verse 1, John, inspired by the Holy Spirit for us to hear about this love. You might think, I don't know, at, at at first, I'm like, that's kind of, it kind of feels like a horrible sentiment to say, well, God loves me differently than he loves the lost. But think of it this way. I love you. I love you very much. And there's not a thing I wouldn't do for you. If you called me in the middle of the night and said, I'm broken down, I would rush to help you. I just, I absolutely love you. I would do everything in my power to help you and do everything I can for you. And you probably feel, I think you feel the same way for me. But the love I have for you and the love I have for Kathleen is way different. 
And I'll tell you right now, nobody will ever, not even my children, come between my love for her and her love for me. You may be saying, well, why are you making that illustration? Because when Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wanted to illustrate the love Christ had for the church, you know what he uses in Ephesians chapter 5? Marriage. The love of a husband and a wife. The love Christ has for his church is totally different. More intimate. It is the same love that is to cherish, to honor, in poorness and sickness and health, in youth and in old age. It's that intimate, bonded, covenant love that's not supposed to end. And I would say one of the things that has probably, I'm not going to say probably, it has hurt the testimony of Christ's love for us is seeing Christian marriages disintegrate. Because that was the chosen illustration by God to say, Christ loves his church so much, it's just like the love that the husband is supposed to have for his bride. Mm. God's love for the world isn't lessened by this. We just need to understand it's a different love. It's a, it's a general love, for lack of a better word. And I would liken it to the general love that you hopefully feel towards fellow man. As you're driving down the road and you see someone broken down on the side of the road, and you say, I'm, I'm going I'm to pull over and help this guy. I mean, he, he looks like he's having a hard time. There's smoke coming from the hood, or he's got a flat tire, and you say, I'm going to help this guy. Why? That's your, that's your general love that God has placed in you for mankind. Or perhaps you know of someone in this, this fellowship that is hurting and, and having a hard time with life, and you... Like I was sharing this morning, you slip me an envelope to give to them. You don't want them to know who it's from. Why do you do that? Because you've got a you've got a love for them. It's not like the love you have for your spouse, but you have a love for them, and that's the same kind of love that God has for all of mankind. But when it comes to the church, when it comes to His own, Jesus Christ is deeply, intimately in love with us. Jordan, how did you put it just a second ago? He is madly, okay, I can't remember how you said it. You said it was uh, the song lyric that you shared. Yes, that is the love that he has for his church. It is the same love that says, again, uh, I will be committed to you no matter what. And like marriage, it is a covenant that is not supposed to end. Consider this scripture in Deuteronomy 7, 9. He says, Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps His gracious covenant loyally for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commands. In other words, the illustration here is God's love for us is like the love He had for Israel, enduring love. And you're like, well, wait, didn't He exile them? Yes, but He put up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of disobedience, of adultery, he called it spiritual adultery because they would go, and this is the word that God used, you whore yourselves to the foreign gods and those idols. This is the love God has for us. Why am I pointing this out to us this evening? There's two, two points in this scripture that I really want to draw out. 
that shows tangible acts of this love Christ has for his own. The first is what I would just simply call a loving example. In verse 8, he says, do you know what I have done for you? What I have done to you? Uh, What he is talking about is that foot washing. It's a servant's job, which is why the apostle Peter objects. He doesn't want Jesus to wash his feet because this is a job for the lowest of servants. Perhaps Peter understood how undeserving he was of this action, God washing his feet. After all, it was Peter who confessed who Jesus was. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But as is with God, deserve has nothing to do with it. I want us to think of this action in light of verse 1, that he loved his own unto the end. If verse 1 is talking about those whom God predestined to respond to this message to be his own, then in modern times, this would be the church that Jesus speaks about. Jesus is washing the feet of the church. All of our stinky, dirty, corn-infested feet. And so perhaps we can apply this example of how Christ loved His disciples to how we are to love within the setting of our brethren. How should the church treat each other? How should the church love each other? From the loving example Jesus shows, it would be one of service. One of attitude. What is Jesus really doing here? He is lowering himself below the status of those who are supposed to be serving him. He is living out his teaching. If anyone wants to lead, let him serve one another. If you want to be first, you need to be last. He is lowering himself to a lower status, and by doing that, he is elevating those around him. Not that we need to have a foot washing ceremony. I'm not going to come in here next Sunday night with a bowl and some towels and say, y'all come on up here, we're going to wash each other's feet for a few minutes. And I'm not saying that wouldn't be a bad idea. I just don't feel led by the Holy Spirit to wash anybody's feet right now. Though there should be perhaps some sort of application here in our lives. How can you and I serve one another in a way that says, I see you as more important than me? I want to elevate you above my own thinking of myself. Because that's really, when it comes to serving one another, that's really what we're doing, is we're saying, I don't think I'm too important for you. And in fact, I feel like you're more important than me. And I want to love you, and I want to serve you, and I want to give you this action. In light of this action, Jesus teaches them in verses 34 through 35 that we are to love one another as He loves us. And then the world will know that we are His disciples. Consider this example of foot washing and lowering Himself and elevating others to be an example of not just service, but of love. A tangible act of love. Love is not just a feeling. Love is not the warm fuzzies. Uh, A musical group, DC Talk, used to sing a song. It said, love is a verb. Love is action. Love is willing to do for others. In other words, love is lived out, not just expressed. In other words, John 1, John 13, 1, where it says that Jesus loved his own, would be meaningless if Jesus hadn't put it into action. And that's what he does in washing feet is he puts his love in action. So we should love one another. 
And this is exactly the love we are to have for one another, as, uh, as verse 34 through 35 uh, exhorts us to have, to have a love that shows the world that we are of Christ, to have an affection that makes the world take notice. And as I discussed this morning, unfortunately, the testimony of churches, it's not that. Too many times uh, what goes out the door is a testimony of politics, of fighting, of splits. We need to change this. We need to allow God to sow, like I was talking about this morning, sow good seed that changes this testimony. Let me just ask you, pray about this, about tangible acts of love we can show in our church. Tangible ways that we can show the world we love each other because Christ loved us. Also, in this loving example, I want us to consider everyone who is present at this scene. Well, we've got the 12, and including in that 12 is old Judas. You might be tempted to say, was Jesus tricked? Did Jesus not know what Judas was up to? Did he not realize that Judas was going to betray him? Well, we read in verses 10 through 11, he said this, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. He wasn't talking about someone who forgot to bathe that day. He was talking about Judas. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. The foot washing was not really to clean them. It was symbolic of the spiritual washing they would receive, as I'm sure you've heard preached. That's why we're not really getting into that tonight. It was to fulfill Scripture that Judas was allowed to be a part of this moment, that he was allowed to be a part of that inner sanctum of disciples. So yes, Jesus completely knew what Jesus, Judas was doing and was capable of doing. So why did Judas get included in this loving example meant for those whom Jesus loved? Why was he included in this example of love for his own, as verse 1 tells us? Do we not have the lost in the church? Absolutely. We're told throughout Scripture that the lost are always present with us. In a parable that Jesus is teaching... It compares the lost to tares in the field that grow up with wheat. Now, I didn't know this until studying that particular parable, but tares look just like wheat. And Jesus, in the parable, is, uh, is saying that the farmer instructs his workers to let the tares stay because you might just rip out some of the wheat in trying to get rid of the tares. In other words, the lost are with us. Billy Graham used to estimate that around 60 to 75% of the church is lost. Well, you're saying, well, how can that be? How can they be a part of the church? Well, it just, it just happens. People know the right words to say. Uh, they, they, know the, they know how to get their letter transferred, or, or, <laughs> or they know how to say a prayer, but there's never really a conversion there. I mean, what does Jesus teach us at that, that moment of judgment? There will be those who say, Lord, Lord, did we not do... And they will list everything that they did. And I'm sure there was going to be someone at that last moment of judgment say, Lord, I was a member of X and X church for 50-something years, and I gave faithfully in the tithe. And just like Jesus told those in the scripture, he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Why was Judas allowed to be a part of this? 
The same reason that we don't kick people out of the church when we find out they're lost. We're hoping they'll get saved. We're hoping perhaps they'll be a loving example that will make an impact on, on their life. The message is that if they want to be included, even if they are lost, then allow them to experience what the true believers experience, which is a love that is just special from God. How could Jesus allow Judas to be so, shown such kindness knowing what Judas would soon do? But isn't this exactly what Jesus taught us to do when dealing with our enemies? What does Jesus teach us to do when dealing with our enemies? What does he say? Love them? What else? Anybody else? What does he say when dealing with enemies? Pray for them? What else? Somebody not with a, somebody without the last name given. Turn the other cheek. Anything else? How about this? How about this one? Uh, whoop, I just lost my place. Repay evil with kindness. Okay, yeah, trade up. There you go, what she was talking about. He said, uh, be willing to carry that cloak two miles instead of just the one. You're probably familiar, if you're familiar with that teaching of Jesus. In other words, we don't repay evil with evil. We repay evil with kindness. The loving example of Jesus to Judas was kindness, even knowing what Judas was up to. The loving example we are given is one to humble ourselves. This is Jesus' teaching in action, to lose our life. He who is last will be first to serve others, even those who are your enemy and who mean you harm. Listen, we are called to love everyone, to love everyone. And we do it through this wonderful example of love and action of, of, of washing feet. Of course, we know that that's not the only way that Jesus loved and what he ends up doing is talking about his coming death in this scripture, as we saw in the rest of this chapter, is that Jesus loves us through his death. The obvious answer to how Jesus loved us and loved his own to the end was that he took his life to the end. He took his life and he gave it away. No one can argue with this truth. Jesus knew the cost he was going to pay for us and how costly that was for Jesus. And in the midst of preparing for his arrest and crucifixion, he points out that all of his disciples will fall away. Of course, there's Judas in the midst of preparing for his death, uh, his, his, his arrest, and then his crucifixion. He's dealing with Judas. There, there in the mill, Jesus sends him on his way to do what Satan had set in mind for him to do. Is that not love through death? Then there's Simon Peter who says, oh, I'll die for you, and he has to tell Peter, no, actually, Peter, you're going to deny me. And this is part of the preparation he had for his death. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, Jesus tells them, they will all fall away. The cost is one of extreme loneliness, plus the physical anguish, pain. This was the extent and the depth of his great love for his church, for his own. And he sets it as a pattern, an example for us to love one another. And so I ask you, are we called to just wash each other's feet? Or are we not called to die for one another? To die to ourselves at the very least. That death may look like just a submission of what I want 
for your sake. It's a love that is costly. It's a love that hurts. A love that loves even when we are being betrayed and we are knowing that we are being betrayed. A love that serves. A love that leads us to go low and elevate all others, including those who are our enemies. His love is a love that serves those who want us to die. Well, may God enhance our love. May He grow our love. May He instill in us the love He has for His church so that we can love like He loved the church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your great love for us. May it be an inspirational example for how we are to love one another, especially those in the church. And Lord, I didn't even plan for these two messages to go together, but they just sure seem to work out that way. So Father, perhaps you're emphasizing in my life today how important it is that I practice this act and acting of love, loving your church so that I can go outside these doors and love the world around me. Lord, I pray that your promises that are so true would impact me today, tonight, and tomorrow, and the next day. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. Well, let's sing a song.